Hi there, it's Ural from Michigan State University's Department of Theater, and you're listening to Syllable of Recorded Time. On today's episode, I have the immense pleasure of interviewing Stephanie Shine. She's the Director of Outreach at Tennessee Shakespeare Company. And on today's episode, we're chatting about community and education outreach through Shakespeare. Thank you so much again, Steph, for doing this. It is so great to have you here. Um, Let's just hop in, shall we? You got it. Yeah. So as the outreach director or director of outreach um, for the Tennessee Shakespeare Company, you oversee a lot of community and educational programs. With Romeo and Juliet Project, RJP being one of my personal favorites, what are some of your most proud um, or what some what are some of the programs that you're most proud of and why? Oh, that's such a thoughtful question. And I will I'll start with the Romeo and Juliet project. Um, I am I uh, love that project because it uses Shakespeare and theater to offer alternatives to violence and to threatening situations for young people. And it just gives them more tools. Uh, in their young lives to get out of a situation alive and um, helps them understand that context is important and that youth doesn't afford them yet um, the context to understand that things will pass. So, you know, that time does heal and that our amazing problems that are in front of us, it doesn't mean that the problems aren't huge. It's just that they won't always be there. And Romeo and Juliet does that. And it makes, uh, and for an introduction to Shakespeare, um, it makes for a lively, important, relevant experience that is unlike, I believe, anything um, most kids get in their ninth grade ELA classes. I think this is a life changing event for people. And even if they never have to use some of the skills, they remember we were in the classroom. Um, if somebody sees TN Shakespeare on something, they'll say, oh, I remember you came to my school or they'll recognize certain actors or even myself, you were in my classroom. I remember when you when uh, Shakespeare was in the house, which is what I was in. Shakespeare's in the house, and um, people who have uh, been through the program in ninth grade, uh, when we come back to their schools to um, when they're sophomores or juniors or seniors, they will, when they see us in the hall, start quoting Shakespeare to us. So it has lifelong effects, and um, I think I'm most proud of that program because we were. It was designed to um, answer a social need. It was designed to say what is wrong or what is what is hurting our youth and how can we help? How can we do something? And um, instead of feeling helpless, which sometimes I do as an adult where I live going, how do I help this? This made me feel like I was contributing and makes me feel like we are hopeful. and. Mm-hmm. 
that's why that program particularly has great relevance and resonance with me. Nice, nice. Thank you. Um, how do you see Shakespeare and theater specifically, theater arts, as a vehicle for building community, connection, and empathy uh, between people? And and I know that you talked about RJP and some of the tools. Maybe if you can weave in what some of those tools are, or just in general, how Shakespeare can be a vehicle for building community and connection between people. Um, theater builds community. I'll start with theater in a variety of ways. Yeah. To me, one of the most important is that we sit in a room together. We actually right. have to be together. Right. And I um, feel in my lifetime, and especially coming out of the pandemic, we have substituted um, real in-person experience with uh, virtual experiences. And I'm grateful for them. Don't get me wrong. I am grateful for the technology. I'm grateful I can talk with you right now and feel like we're in the room, but we're not in the room together. You know, I'm not going to end this um, interview and give you a big hug. You know, that's know. not, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> it would be nice maybe with technology, but the fact that we are called to be in a room together, that we gather, which is really uh, something that's fundamental in major religions. We gather together, we gather together mm -hmm. and we have a, a, an experience together. And we, um, we experience a play that was written for an audience and with Shakespeare, now I'll switch to Shakespeare. It was written for audiences 400 years ago, but somehow or another, this one playwright was able to capture the human experience with such um, inclusiveness that the specificity of his plays feels universal. And that word context that I used uh, in the previous question, Shakespeare provides context. We can go, oh, goodness gracious, I'm feeling these things. I feel these things that these characters are going through, you know, me and the audience. I feel what these characters are feeling, therefore developing empathy. And isn't it interesting that these uh, characters were developed 400 years ago, which means that humankind, as best as I can tell, 400 years ago, was also experiencing these things. So I am not alone in my experience. And I sometimes think that as a human, we are individual, we are unique, but we need community and we need to know that we're not alone in what we're experiencing. And theater does that. It does that because it invites that community as a, an audience. It asks that community to give over their time, maybe two or three hours of their precious lifetime to watch and experience and explore and discover a play with a group of actors who has given weeks and weeks of their time of their life to give this to an audience, knowing that there's a gift and, you know, and a giving and a receiving and it, it, oh, it, it ebbs and it flows again, building empathy. I mean, there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else like it. I love that. I love that specifically. I never thought about the gathering and how it's so, um, it's such a human thing and it, and it spans across many different disciplines. You know, as you mentioned, like the, 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 like one of the, the uh, bedrocks of like religious practices is the gathering, right? Being in community and 
Um, theater really does that. Even Shakespeare does it, but theater in general does that. And then I love that aspect about how these are universal themes that Shakespeare was writing about um, and how, how even after so much time has passed, some of these things still resonates with people. Some of these things still resonates with communities. Some of these things still resonate. And so, yes, that was so, so poignant and beautiful. Um, and speaking of how things resonate, right? Like the stories that Shakespeare talks about and that he writes about, they resonate. But in some, in modern times, right? Specifically with young people, but it doesn't have to be specific to young people. It can sometimes be not as accessible, the language. And so I'm curious to know, what are some ways that you make Shakespeare accessible and relevant to different groups through your education programs? Um, and how do you adapt the material to various ages and populations? That's such a great question. Thank you for it. Um, I think the, the biggest roadblock people meet when they're you know driving down a path to a Shakespeare play is that they're reading it. Mm, mm -hmm, it just mm -hmm. was never intended to be read. Right. And I liken a play to a blueprint or a piece of music, a composition. For those of us who are not musical, <laughs> not play an instrument, um, you could show me a piece of, of music that was written by Beethoven or Mozart. And I would look at those notes and not have any idea what was happening. But if you play it for me or let me listen to it, I'm in there with you. And that's what a play is. A play is not meant to be read unless you really, I mean, if you, if you find that you do have, um, a sort of um, a talent for reading plays and visualizing and hearing, then go for it. But we ask people to study them as though they were literature. And I would put out there that plays are not literature, they're, they're plays and they need to be played and they need actors. You really, you really just need actors and an audience. That's really all you need. You really don't need anything else. So the rest of it's just candy. Um, so I'm going to be out of a job as a director. But really, you just need actors and audience. Because we can, just like I can hear a piece of Mozart and experience it and be, you know, have a, have a revelations because of it. An audience member can do the same with Shakespeare. Now, we can help. There are a couple of things I do. Um, I find that the work that I do, uh, I really think it's all ages. I, I don't yes. think, oh, I'm doing this for an audience of this age. Therefore, I need to do this and this and this. It might uh, impact some of my choices if I know a play is going to be in the schools. And then I know that there's going to be a comfort level with some um thematic issues within a play, and I might not emphasize those. I might pull back on that. Um, the the boys in Romeo and Juliet, yeah, they are rascally and randy, like little ruddying goats. And I will pull back on that. 
because it's not appropriate for me to be introducing that. I don't have to build on the language with that. I can let the language take care of itself. But what I will do is I will go through and edit a play. Mm -hmm. I won't change the words, but I will excise and extract things that might um, be overstated, said too many times, um, thing, uh, maybe I will get rid of a subplot that might muddy the basic story. I might, um, I might, uh, put some characters together because, uh, and, and make them into one, uh, if it's a minor character, because we can't afford to put that many people on stage. Um, but everything I do is to clarify the story, the story that Shakespeare has written. Um, so that is one thing that I do for all of our audiences. And also our audiences today are not really um, conditioned to spend that much time in a theater unless it's a special event. Mm -hmm. And when you do programming that's going to travel to a school, you need to work within uh, a school period or two. You know, so maybe a play, you know, Shakespeare will tell you that Romeo and Juliet is two hours traffic. Although if you were doing the unedited, unedited piece, I doubt you could do that because we tend to speak the Shakespeare too slowly. We tend to think that we've got to pound all the words to make sure they're understood, which sort of remind it, it, it's like when you're working with somebody or, or trying to speak to somebody who with somebody who doesn't speak your language. And so yeah. you slow down and raise your voice <laughs> thinking that if I slow down my English, you non-English speaker, and if I raise my volume, you will understand me magically. We tend to do, sometimes we do the same thing with Shakespeare. There's an inclination to do that. And I would uh, advise everybody to stop it. Speak it quickly. Shake, I mean, Hamlet tells us to speak the speech, you know, quickly, trippingly on the tongue. And that's what we should do. And uh, I mean, really, Shakespeare tells us how to do his plays. We just have to get out of the way. So, you know, keep, uh, but when you're doing a play in a school, that two hours traffic for Romeo and Juliet cannot be over 90 minutes. <laughs> so you're going to edit a bit. You're going to edit. And that, but that helps. It can really help with the clarity of the storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he also, Shakespeare, he also often dealt with timeless themes around morality and justice and power. And yeah. how can grappling with these themes through theater be impactful for youth development? And you spoke a little bit about that at the beginning with Romeo and Juliet, um, the Romeo and Juliet project. Um, but do you have an example from one of your productions, whether it's the RJP or another production of like how these themes, these impactful, powerful themes can help with youth development? Um, we have uh, developed since you were with us, Yurl, another program called the Macbeth Initiative that works with 12th grade students because uh, many students meet Shakespeare again uh, at, on, as they're exiting high school. And uh, the curriculum, is usually Macbeth, which I have to tell you is not my favorite play by any means, no. but no, but it means all the more that, that, you know, if that's the play our students are studying, then I want us in there helping. What we can, what Macbeth uh, can do uh, for 
a kid who's 17, 18 years old and ready to launch to the next level of their life is help them understand decision-making. What happens? What happens when good people make bad choices? What is power? And as they're looking at our own political structure and going, whoa, what is going on? I mean, right now is such a very interesting time to be in America because there's such divisiveness. So you can follow a character like Macbeth. And if things are highlighted for you in production, you know, so that you are with Macbeth as he questions during many of his soliloquies, and I think a student can go or any audience member can can appreciate uh, the difficulty of good decision making and the responsibility of leadership and then take that into a forward place in their own life. Use that to go, oh, no, I've seen how good leadership, what happens with good leadership and bad leadership. Thank you, the play Macbeth. Thank you for showing me this. Thank you for teaching me this. And remembering that that's a lesson gifted to us from 400 years ago. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary. So I think that's that those are things that can help with youth development. The play Romeo and Juliet, because it's all about children yeah. and about, um, you know, those are the major characters. And so children see themselves and they also see the effect of being brought up with rage and prejudice mm -hmm. and how we can either go beyond it or what happens if we choose not to if we stay within that you know what we've been been how we you know we, we always make that joke about rage filled verona not that it's funny yeah. but we use that phrase over and over again to remind people in the romeo and juliet that project that where these kids are living this is this is the environment how do we escape that? And Romeo and Juliet uh, make very positive choices until they don't. And then through the desperation that they feel because they don't have the context to know that time can heal things, they sacrifice themselves. And what happens is their parents wake up and society wakes up and changes. So I keep waiting for our society to wake up and change over certain things. You know, when we lose children to violence, to gun violence, I keep waiting for our society to wake up and change. But I think Romeo and Juliet asks us to do that over and over again. You know, kids here in the ending um, lines of the prince, uh, let's go hence to have more talk of these sad things, meaning... Let's remember this and let's find a way to prevent this from happening in the future. Yes. We don't have to have a bad outcome because we experienced it here in this play. We living in 2023 can make informed decisions for the betterment of our children by listening to this play. I mean, it's extraordinary stuff if we would just listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Steph, you know, it's been so long since... I mean, I have, since my time in grad school, I have connected with um, Shakespeare in Detroit. So I have had some 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 other Shakespeare kind of at least community, but it's been so long since I've been around a Shakespearean scholar. <laughs> and it's, it's so nice. <laughs> You're so sweet to call me a scholar. I would really have to say I'm just a practitioner and one of these days I'll get it right. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Um, so I have two more questions for you, two okay. more questions. And um, one of them is kind of a spinoff of what you, you just mentioned. So yes, I do remember you building the uh, Macbeth project while I was there. It was kind of right. still in development, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it uh, yes, you were still in development with it. And so I am so curious if you can talk to talk to me and talk to the to the listeners about um going beyond the veil of an education department at a at a professional theater and how you kind of come up with new programs and how you um think of ways to reach your audience and what that looks like. Um so much of what I do uh comes out of my being a mother. <laughs> Yeah. Honest goodness, you know, I'm a mother and I look at our world and I, I think, okay, how can I help? I have no um, interest in mothering more people than the four <laughs> children I have given birth to. But I, that idea about it taking a village to raise a child yeah. and yeah. I really have learned that that is true. I've seen, I've seen that to be the case. Um, we have to be there for each other and we have to be there for our children. So I look at, at where I, I feel a lack, you know, so it's like, where are we, what are we missing here? And then sometimes people help me because they say, you know, we'd like some Shakespeare. That's how we started the juvenile justice program, which is a program that's very near and dear to my heart, where we work with detained youth. We're in our seventh year of working wow. with detained youth. And um, I find that population to be the most needy and the most deserving mm. of our resources and our hearts and our souls and everything we've learned up to this point because, because they are so underserved. Um, I had um, some folks who were... Uh, retired, hear about our youth summer camps and say, we'd like a summer camp. And I thought they were kidding. And um, I mentioned it to a friend of mine who runs Creative Aging, which is um, for seniors, uh, retired persons. It's an organization that finds art and, and uh, activities and things to keep people active and excited yeah. And, yeah. and vibrantly engaged. And so we offered a summer camp for adults. It was so much fun. And I have to tell you, they were um, some of the most extraordinary humans I've been able to spend time with. And so we kept, it was so popular. We kept going, we did it again. And now I've got, uh, I've got a posse. This group loves each other and they come to everything. They have reunions and they are they fill me with such joy and they challenge me in all the right ways. And, and they, they, you know, keep me moving and keep me uh, flexible and make me think of new things. So, so um, the audience is out there. What you have to do is look for opportunity to spread your word and your word is for us is in our mission. Shakespeare is for everyone, everyone. Mm. It has something to offer. And what and because we are not um traditional teachers and we don't lecture, we engage yeah. and we involve and we get people up on their feet. 
-hmm. speaking text, speaking Shakespeare's words, which are words of power. You know, you put powerful language into somebody's mouth and that's transformative. That just changes a human. That's that just changes you. You go, oh my gosh, I spoke these words. I can do anything. I can have these huge chests. I often think we need Shakespeare Ural and and because because we don't have other words to express the depth of our feeling and the depth of our thinking. And Shakespeare has those words. And that's why we need Shakespeare. But um but when you when people think Shakespeare is beyond them. That's why I do outreach. It's like, nope, it's for you. He was a Glover son, as best we know, you know, who just is writing for all of us for all time. We were just blessed with it. So yeah, yeah. And you mentioned the the poetic justice program that brings Shakespeare workshops to juvenile detention centers. Um, can you talk a little bit more about it and? Um, how you build relationships with these centers, with the, 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 the youth that are in there and any kind of um, challenges or, or barriers in terms of building this program. You said it's in the seventh year. Um, yes, yes. So, so how did that come about? It came about because um, uh, Dale Scruggs uh, worked for the juvenile justice department and his wife was friends with a board member. And so mm. he called and said, you know, our kids need programming. And they mm. had just uh, Shelby County in Tennessee, uh, which is uh, where Memphis is. Um, yes. Shelby County uh, had, um, you know, has a huge um, issue with a lot of youth being detained. I mean, it's downright uh disheartening and maddening how many youth are detained and so it's so large that they had to put a school uh a full shelby county school within the juvenile court called the hope academy mm -hmm. so we were invited into the hope academy and uh i had three sections of 12 young men and i uh and a partner went in and we taught them romeo and juliet for a week and it was the most exciting work I've ever done. And that launched us. And now, thanks to the National Endowment of the Arts, I'm ever grateful for them and the Tennessee Arts uh, Commission. We have programming year round for these kids. And, and Poetic Justice happens in the summertime. It's our summer camp for juveniles. We're there. We're with them every single day, every day for a month. And we take them through a program of poetry where we start with Shakespeare and sonnets. We even, uh, and we, we go back to haiku structure. We teach them um, all, uh, you know, different structures of poetry, having them write and express themselves along the way. And then they end up with their own spoken word poetry. And this year they were able to perform it for each other, perform it for other um, uh detained youth or justice involved youth which is actually how we like to call them now justice involved um the challenge that we have uh first of all is that our centers the the ones that we have are holding uh, uh facilities none of the children have been convicted of anything and so because of that um they're in a heightened state of agitation mm. even more so than they you know you take a teenager 
and lock them up. And it's a horrible thing. But then these kids don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. It's very, they're very, it's, it's very, um, very hard. And some of them are going to be in this situation of not knowing their futures regarding what's happening with the justice um, system uh, for two, three years. They can be waiting for trial. And many of them are being held for serious crimes and they will go to trial as adults, even though they're juveniles. Um, so the, the fact that your students are on edge and have very little human contact, that's a challenge. And it's also something I'm so happy that we can assist and help them with because we're there. They can count on us by golly. We are there unless they are having a lockdown, which happens time to time, and then we can't get in. Or um, they're having staffing issues and we can't get in. But um, those, you know, sometimes we'll be there and something has happened, just happened, and we won't be able to see the kids that day. Or, you know, so that those the, the idea that you can go and expect to be seen every time that you are scheduled to be there, you have to let that go. You have to go, oh, nope, that's not going to happen. We're not going to see you today. We'll try again tomorrow. I always make sure, though, that they know that that whoever is, whatever guards are there, uh, officers are there, that they let the kids know that we were there. And it's also something I'm so happy that we can assist and help them with because we're there. They can count on us by golly. We are there unless they are having a lockdown, which happens time to time, and then we can't get in or um, they're having staffing issues and we can't get in. But um, those, you know, sometimes we'll be there and something has happened, just happened, and we won't be able to see the kids that day. Or, you know, so that those the, the idea that you can go and expect to be seen every time that you are scheduled to be there, you have to let that go. You have to go, oh, nope, that's not going to happen. We're not going to see you today. We'll try again tomorrow. I always make sure, though, that they know that that whoever is, whatever guards are there, uh, officers are there, that they let the kids know that we were there, that yeah. they can come of poetry, where we start with Shakespeare and sonnets. We even, uh, and we, we go back to haiku structure. We teach them um, all, uh, you know, different structures of poetry, having them write and express themselves along the way. And then they end up with their own spoken word poetry. And this year they were able to perform it for each other, perform it for other um, uh, detained youth or justice involved youth, which is actually how we like to call them now, justice involved. Um, the challenge that we have, uh, first of all, is that our centers, the, the ones that we have are holding uh uh, facilities. None of the children have been convicted of anything. And so because of that, um, they're in a heightened state of agitation, mm. even more so than they, you know, you take a teenager and lock them up and it's a horrible thing. But then these kids don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. It's very, they're very, it's, it's very, um, very hard. And some of them are going to be in this situation of not knowing their futures regarding what's happening with the justice um, system uh, for two, three years, they can be waiting for trial. And many of them are being held for serious crimes and they will go to trial as adults, even though they're juveniles. Um, so the, the fact that your students are on edge 
and have very little human contact. That's a challenge. And it's also something I'm so happy that we can assist and help them with because we're there. They can count on us by golly. We are there unless they are having a lockdown, which happens time to time, and then we can't get in. Or um, they're having staffing issues and we can't get in. But um, those, you know, sometimes we'll be there and something has happened, just happened, and we won't be able to see the kids that day. Or, you know, so that those the, the idea that you can go and expect to be seen every time that you are scheduled to be there, you have to let that go. You have to go, oh, nope, that's not going to happen. We're not going to see you today. We'll try again tomorrow. I always make sure, though, that they know that that whoever is, whatever guards are there, uh, officers are there, that they let the kids know that we were there, that no. they can count on the fact that we were there. Because a lot for a lot of these children, they have not had that yeah. sort of foundation of people they can count on. And even though we're a theater company, they know we're going to show up for them. So those are some of the challenges. And um, uh, emotionally, as a theater artist, what's challenging is that um, you develop such fondness for them. And we see them in a way nobody else sees them. They, um, you know, we never know what they're held for. We don't know the background. We see them fresh. We see a child who has, who may have done something very bad but they are themselves, they're not a crime. Mm -hmm. And we see only the potential. And because we are not in, we are not part of the justice system, they're able to be more their true selves. They don't have to protect themselves with us. So we're able to bring help bring their childhoods back, a part of their childhood back. We can play with them. We introduce play and laughter and, all while they are learning about what else is out there beyond their zip code. So many of them haven't imagined a world outside their zip code, but Shakespeare and the language and the power, and when they realize that they can do it too, it takes them, to, it shows them a future within themselves. I'm not speaking about them becoming a Shakespearean actor. Right, right, right. But they see their own potential just like we do. So um, emotionally, you you fall in love with your students. You just love them. You love them and you, you want better for them and more for them. And it can be a little agonizing knowing that the most that we can do is what we're doing. Mm. You know, we can't make everything better. I often want to make everything better for them. And I can't. And I have to live with that. But um, I also, when I'm there, can go in with my full presence and my yeah. heart open, and they need that. So it's 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 the best work. Oh, we're so blessed. It's the best work. Yeah. And I love what you said about showing up and even telling the guards when something happens and they're not and you're not able to physically enter that day, but to have the guards to let them know that you showed up. I recently went to a conference and I was presenting. And um, I, when someone told me like how they received my presentation or what they received for my presentation, they told me that um, I spoke a lot about infrastructure of trust, which that phrase, I had never heard that phrase before. And I loved it. I, I love that phrase too. I've never heard it either. Infrastructure of trust. It. Yes, yes, yes. 
And so, and so like what you said about showing up and letting them know that you're there no matter what, and knowing that that's something, that's something that's within the control of what we can do, right? Um, and like, that's also how you can build trust with, with community of just showing up, being present and, and letting people know that I'm going to be here and you, and I, you can rely on me, you know, for the time and the space and the place that I took. I'd like to thank Steph for joining us today and thank you for listening to Syllable of Recorded Time. For more information about this program and other exciting events, please visit Michigan State University's Department of Theater at theater.msu.edu.